Good morning. My name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. I'm so glad you're here with us for Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the start of Holy Week. It's the, the last week of Jesus' life. Um, and he, uh, the week starts off really well. Jesus enters Jerusalem, the holy city, and the crowds hail him as the king and the Messiah, the, the answer to the, to the world's longing. And everybody's really excited. And it's, it's a time where we see uh, Jesus' glory. And so this morning, um, I'm not actually going to look at that passage. We're not going to talk about that passage. But we're going to look at another passage that happens just a little bit earlier um, in the Gospels. Uh, uh, another passage where we see uh, the glory of Jesus revealed. And so if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 9? And if you're uh, following along in one of the blue Bibles... Um, on the chair next to you, you can find Luke chapter 9. You can find this passage on page 867. Let me invite you to stand with me as we uh, hear God's word together. Palm Sunday is one of those Sundays that I feel especially this, that we're not just here in Ladera Ranch doing this all on our own, but we are connected to um, billions of Christians, over a billion Christians around the world this morning are standing together to hear God's news, good news to us. So read with me, or listen as I read, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 28. It says, now about eight days after these sayings. Now, eight days after what? It's, um, well, if you look back, Jesus has just told his, his followers in as clear language as he can. He says, I'm, about, I'm going to Jerusalem, and when I get there, I will be killed. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and James, Peter and John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter... And those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the clouds saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? God, would you open our eyes this morning that we might behold wonderful things in your word. Help us to see Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated, please. We're talking this morning about glory. Glory is not a word that we use um, all that often, but we know it when we see it. And I think we know what it means. Glory, um, the, the Union soldiers sang about glory during the Civil War. They sang... Mine eyes have seen the glory 
of the coming of the Lord, singing about a time when God would make everything right. Uh, the civil rights movement uh, talked about one day the glory will come and everything will be made right. Martin Luther King dreamed of seeing the glory of God coming. Um, rock stars sing about glory. Every rock star is pursuing glory, right? But you too sang Gloria. Um, I glory in you alone, Lord. Glory is what we feel at a sporting event. Maybe some of us, even this afternoon, probably right now, somebody in Augusta, Georgia, is holding their breath. You know, this moment when a crowd beholds a, a, a glorious, you know, is he going to make this putt to win the Masters? Uh, and a cloud, you know, a crowd just holds their breath, collect, we're longing for glory. Uh, glory is what we are feeling the absence of when we are embarrassed, when we are ashamed. The word glory, it means weighty. Uh, it's the idea that there are people, that there are situations that are weighty, that have, that have gravity or gravitas to them. That's what, that's what glory means. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote uh, one of his more famous books is called The Weight of Glory. And in The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis talks about this sense that um, he, he, the word he, the, what he, he, sorry, he said, he talked about this inconsolable, what he called it, an inconsolable secret. He said the sense that we are um, strangers in the universe, that we are, that we live in this universe that is for us and yet not quite. And this is what he said about glory. He said, for glory means good rapport with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and a welcome into the heart of things. The door on which we have been knocking all of our lives will be open at last. Our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we have been cut off is no neurotic fantasy. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we will get in. And I don't know about you, but that just, I can barely even talk after reading that because that just resonates so strongly. This, this idea that the universe is not right and we are so close to something and we can sense it and it is tangible and yet it's like we're on the wrong side of the door. And the promise of the New Testament is one day that door will open and we will get in and we will behold the glory that we have been longing for all of our lives. In his incarnation, in Jesus coming to earth, his glory is hidden. And in Luke chapter 9, it's like the door is open just a crack and the curtain is pulled back and we see the glory so what do we see when the glory comes? Well, I want you to see three things that we see when the glory comes. The first thing is that when we see the glory, when the glory comes, we see that Jesus is God. When glory comes, we see God. Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. And uh, he takes with him Peter and James and John, his, the, you know, the three closest of his disciples. And he prays, and as he prays, something begins to happen. And other accounts uh, in, in um, Mark and in Matthew, it, it says um, that he was transfigured. And see, what does that word mean? Transfigured means that uh, it means to be changed in a way that elevates, 
which is probably not actually true of Jesus because it wasn't changing Jesus. It was, it was revealing Jesus. It was pulling back the curtain and allowing others to see just for a brief moment who Jesus really is. And his appearance changes, though. Uh, it says two things, that his face begins to shine like the sun and his clothes are dazzling white. I think it's in Mark. It says that uh, Jesus' clothes are, are whiter than anyone in the whole world could bleach them. They're so white, they, they shine. Um, and, and James and Peter and John see this happen to Jesus. And as they're there on this mountain, a cloud covers the mountain, and suddenly Moses is there, and Elijah is there, and you hear the voice of God. And if, you've, if you're a person who's been in church you know, for much of your life, you might be thinking, this sounds familiar. Haven't we seen this picture somewhere else in the Bible? In the book of Exodus, uh, Moses is there, and the presence of God comes down on this mountain, and the mountain is shaking, and there's thunder and lightning, and the people are terrified. And Moses, they, they send, say to Moses, Moses, you go up and talk to God, but do not let him come near us, or he will kill us. They are terrified. And Moses goes up on the mountain, he spends 30 days up on this mountain, and he says, God, I want to see your glory. And God says, you cannot see my glory and live. And so God says, but what I'm going to do, Moses, is I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand. And as I pass by, I will remove my hand, and you will see the back of my glory. And that happens to Moses, and Moses comes back, and Moses, having just seen the back of the glory of God, it says that Moses' face shines. And Moses has to wear this cloth over his face because the people are terrified now of Moses and say, Moses, you're shining. And this is scaring us. And now it's happening again. But it's not a reflection of the glory of God in the face of Moses. It's, it's the actual glory. It's not the moon anymore. It's the sun. It's the, it's the glory of Jesus, radiance in all of his splendor and majesty. What we see here almost is a, is a replay. What's this telling us? Well, it's telling us who Jesus really is. It's telling us who Jesus really is, that Jesus is God. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, um, says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. He's not a photocopy of God. He is the exact representation of God. Colossians 1 talks about the splendor and majesty, the radiant beauty of Jesus who is God himself. In John chapter 1, if you think about it, John, John was here, right? He had this experience. He saw Jesus. And then later in life, he wrote the story of Jesus' life that we call the Gospel of John. And how does he start it? He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We, he was with God in the beginning, and then he says, and we beheld his glory. I think John's talking about it. He's referring back to I was there. I, we beheld, we saw the glory of Jesus, God in the flesh. Peter later writes to churches scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and he says, I was an eyewitness of his glory and his honor, and I heard the voice of God. I was there on the holy mountain. I saw it with my own eyes. For one brief moment, the curtain is pulled back, and you see who Jesus really is. What's the implication for us? The implication is this, that when you meet Jesus, you meet God. 
When you meet Jesus, you meet God. When you meet Jesus, you are in the presence of glory. When you meet Jesus, you meet the one that your heart has always longed for. When you meet Jesus, you meet the one that you are looking for every dollar you spend. Every dollar you spend on your house, your clothes, or your food, you are longing for glory. And when you meet Jesus, you meet the one who you are longing for every dollar you spend. When you meet Jesus, you are looking face to face at the one who you are longing for every time you post a political rant about how often somebody is on Facebook. You are longing for glory. When you meet Jesus, you meet the one that you're longing for every time you're at your kid's baseball game. Something happens and you go, yes! Or you go, no! (laughs) I remember a year ago at my son's baseball game, this other kid on his team hits the ball and his mother looked at him like he was amazing. I thought to myself, he's eight years old. That was a great hit. And you are longing for Jesus. You are longing for glory. Your eight-year-old son is going to not be a good substitute for Jesus. So what? What does the voice say? They hear this voice. What What does it say? The voice of God says, This is my son, the one that I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. Peter later, when he writes uh, to the churches in the Roman Empire, and he recounts this, he says, I was there. He says, I saw Jesus light up like a Christmas tree, and it scared me. And you have something better. You have the word of God that is written down. Listen to it. When you see the glory of God, what you should, what you should do, you should listen to Jesus. Do you remember in the Gospels, there's another time where Peter had been fishing all night. Now, Peter wasn't out, like, you know, chilling out. Peter was a fisherman. And he had been fishing all night, and they had caught nothing. And they brought the nets in, and they had cleaned the nets. And Jesus shows up, and he says, Peter, I want you to put the, throw, cast the nets in one more time on the other side of the boat. Can you imagine Peter, like, Jesus, I know how to fish, man. Like... You do your thing, I'll do my thing. We already claimed it to come on. And he kept, but he said, what did he say? He said, because you say so, I will do it. And they cast their nets in, and they caught so many fish, the boat was going to sink. What does that mean? It means when Jesus tells you how to do your job, you should listen to him. Okay? Will you let Jesus tell you how to do your job? Will you listen to Jesus when he tells you how to live your life? He's God. Listen to him. I was talking to a man recently who was telling me his life story. He was telling me that he grew up going to church. His parents dragged him to church every week. And in college, he stopped going to church. And he got married and had kids. And his kids started asking questions that he did not answer. So he started going back to church. And he said, uh, you know, I just felt like I am... so why did you take why'd you take your kids to church? You know, lots of places. You have the internet now. You know, you can answer your kids' questions on the internet, right? Why'd you go to church? He said, I don't know. I just felt like I just wanted them to have something, something to help them like get through when um, 
And it was like he didn't know how to answer the question. He didn't know what he was searching for. He didn't say anything about Jesus. I'm thinking, how sad. This guy's been in church all of his life and he's never met Jesus. Let, let me be clear. Like, If you're here because your kids are asking questions, I'm so glad you're here. It's a great starting point. But don't let that be the ending point. You don't go to church to find something to help you get through a hard day. You go to church to come face to face with Jesus and all of his glory. Do we want Jesus or do we just want Jesus to do stuff for us? Glory means weighty. It means that Jesus is the glorious one. He is the one with, with weight, with heft. And we're like a breath. He's God. Second, when we see the glory of Jesus, we see his beauty. When the glory comes, we see the beauty of Jesus. I love that Peter is in the Bible. I mean, Peter's a real person. He's not like, but if you were going to make up a character, he'd be a great person to put in the Bible. So he always asks, does a crazy thing or asks the question that no, nobody else would, you know, everybody's wondering but doesn't have the guts to actually ask. And um, So Peter and James and John, they go up on this mountain and um, they fall asleep as usual. And then it's like when Peter opens his eyes, it's like he's jolted awake. And it says in verse 33, he says, Master, it's really good that we're here. Let's build some tents. And that, like it says, like editorially, he said this because he didn't know what was going on. Um, why does Peter want to make tents? Um, he's not worried about Jesus and Moses and Elijah getting wet. Um, in the Old Testament, God lived in the midst of his people. But where did he live? He lived in a tent. He lived in a tabernacle. And he dwelt in the midst of the nation of Israel, surrounded him as they traveled in the wilderness. But God's presence was in the midst of his people, but it was in a tent. And it was in the inner ring of the inner ring of the inner ring of the tent, in the Holy of Holies. And nobody could go in and into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies except one man, the high priest, and only one day a year, and Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. And the high priest, when he would go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of God's people, they would tie a rope around his ankle with a bell on it because he's in the presence of God and God is holy. And if that man sins when he is in there, he's going to drop dead. And if the bell stops ringing, they can pull his dead body out of the Holy of Holies because God is holy. Why does Peter want to build tents? Because he is terrified. He sees the glory of God, and he is terrified, and he doesn't know what to do. So he wants to build a tent to veil the glory of God. But the most incredible thing that happens here is that Peter opens his eyes. He's jolted out of his slumber, and he's not dead. He's still alive. The beauty of Jesus is this, that when we see his glory, intimacy is restored. You were created to know God. Adam and Eve walked in the presence of God. And when we see the glory of God in Jesus, intimacy is restored. Jesus is the reason that you can come into the presence of God and live. I don't care what your background is. One day your eyes are going to close for the last time. And when they 
open in death. You will either be welcomed into the presence of the God who loves you, or you won't. I heard a story this week about two college students, two women who had become Christians in college, and they decided that when they graduated college, they were going to become missionaries, and they were going to move overseas, and they were going to give their lives to to, uh, serving the poor and, and to a life of humility of, and service and advancing the kingdom of God. And their parents were not happy. And their parents were so angry at this professor because their professor was a Christian and they were convinced that their daughters had been led astray by this professor. And, um, and one of the parents called and left messages and, and, um, and was complaining about this professor. And uh, the parents said, we wanted our daughters to live long lives. We, wanted them, we didn't want them to become missionaries. We wanted them to get some security in life. We didn't want them to move across the world. We wanted them to get master's degrees so they could get good jobs, so they could live comfortable lives because they have security. And the professor said, with all due respect, with all due respect, there are about 7 billion people on this planet and we are living on a rock that is orbiting around a small star at approximately 67,000 miles per hour. And at one point, sooner or later, a trap door will open up underneath all of us. And at that point, you will either be caught by the hands of a God who loves you or you won't. And you think a master's degree is going to give you some level of security. I hope that professor already had tenure. <laughs> If you saw the news this morning, you know that earlier today, in two terrorist attacks in Egypt, 36 Christians were killed. On Palm Sundays, they worshipped. It's awful. And you know what happened next? They opened their eyes and they saw Jesus. They saw his glory. They were welcomed into the presence of the one that your heart has longed for all your life, even if you didn't know it. Peter and James and John see the glory of Jesus and they hear a voice. This is my son. I love him. My only son. I'm crazy about him. And because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, When God looks at you, he treats you the way he would treat Jesus. And that means, this is one of two points in the New Testament where you hear the voice of God the Father and he says the same thing both times. This is my son, I love him. Because Jesus lived for you and died for you and was raised again for you. When God looks at you, he sees not you, but the glory of Jesus. And he says, this is my kid and I love you. You are my child, and I love you. Every one of us longs for the approval of our Father. I remember when we had two kids, and my older son was two years old, and Porter was like nine months old, and he's like running. He Porter was like running at nine months old, and I remember looking at Porter and going, "Porter, I'm so proud of you." And his older brother, who's two, says, "Hears me say that to his younger brother, and says, Daddy, say you're proud of me too.'" 
He's two years old and already he wants the affection, the approval of his father. Every single one of us wants to hear our father say, I love you, I'm proud of you, you're my child. And that is the voice of God that you hear because of the glory of Jesus. We long for glory. We long for approval. And when you see the glory of Jesus, you get the smile of God. Thirdly, we see, when the glory comes, we see the vulnerability of Jesus. This is important. In this picture, the curtain is pulled back and we get a glimpse of who Jesus really is. You know, without hiding, in a sense. You see the power, the majesty, the glory of Jesus, the the authority of Jesus, the, the might, the strength of Jesus. And yet it would be really easy to miss the vulnerability of Jesus. Here's the question. Why is Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah? Why, why are these Old Testament characters showing up? Um, what's going on? Well, it says, the reason I read the, the Luke version of this is because in Luke, Luke says, Jesus talked together with Moses and Elijah about his departure. In Greek, about his exodus that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Okay, Moses and Elijah are like the bigwigs of the Old Testament. Jesus is rubbing shoulders with these, you know, the greats, right? What, what's going on? Well, it's not just about the accolades that Jesus is getting. Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem. He's about to be murdered. He's going to the cross. And before he embarks on this final journey, the greatest risk of his life, he talks with Moses and Elijah because they've been through what he's about to go through. They talk about his exodus. Luke tells us that his disciples have fallen asleep again. And when his followers have no idea what's going on, Jesus seeks the human companionship of Moses and Elijah, who are men like him, who had borne the authority and vulnerability that is necessary to lead God's people. Jesus is going to the cross and he says, I need to talk to somebody who's done this before, who has experienced in a small way what I'm about to experience. (coughs) Jesus talks with those who could foresee clearly with him what his own followers could not, who could speak with him of the risks that he was choosing to bear and strengthen him on his journey as he acts as the substitute for his people. In the transfiguration of Jesus, we see that even God cannot wield glory without vulnerability, at least not without killing us in the process. Any experience of glory properly used must also include the exercise of vulnerability. Without it, it's just oppression. And so the transfiguration of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, it leads to the cross. It leads to his exodus. The only way for Jesus to wield his glory without destroying us is the cross. And in this, we get a glimpse of our future if we have put our trust in Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross, exchanging places with us. On the cross, he bears our vulnerability in order to give us his glory 
so that if you are in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees not your vulnerability, but the glory of Jesus. This is absolutely unparalleled in literature. There is simply no other place where there is a God. There, you know, there are places where the, you know, the Roman pantheon, the gods wanted to do something, but they couldn't. You see superheroes who you know, uh, vanquish their foes, but have no vulnerability. But you don't see strength through weakness. We just sang right on in majesty and lowly pomp right on to die. It's beautiful. The glory and vulnerability of Jesus. Life is hard, you don't need me to tell you that. How will you respond to the difficulty of life? How will you respond to the difficulty of life? Will you just try harder? Will you struggle against it? Will you feel your own vulnerability? Will you just do everything you can to ignore it? Will you push back? Will you punish those who oppose you? Will you put on a tough face, project strength, push away anything that would threaten you or your family? Or will you look to the future with the hope of glory because Jesus, the glorious one, became vulnerable for you. In the glory of Jesus, you get a glimpse of your future. Your future in Jesus is not just a vain wish that I hope things might one day work out for me too. Jesus went to the cross in order to secure your future. Jesus became vulnerable in order to make you glorious. When you know that your future is glorious, you can endure the darkness of life. I was thinking earlier this morning, a friend of mine named David, David um, had Parkinson's disease. I think he was in his 60s. Parkinson's disease, uh, my understanding is that Parkinson's disease prevents your brain from controlling the rest of your body which means your brain, you are lucid, but you can't do anything as the disease progresses. But you know what's going on. And I went to see David in the hospital. He was so agitated. I've never felt more helpless in my life. He was trying to say something and I could not understand what he was saying. And I read to David Revelation chapter four which is a picture of the throne room of God in heaven where Jesus is now seated. And surrounding the throne there are 12 elders and 12 apostles and they never cease to worship and that was the only time that David actually was at peace. Why was he at peace? Because he knew the glory that was coming to him. enable you to walk through the darkness of a life. You can either ignore it or you can live with the hope of glory. Ashley and I last night watched uh, Selma. 
film that came out a few years ago about um, the march during the civil rights movement that Martin Luther King led in Selma, Alabama. And there's this scene where, I don't know, 500, 700 mostly African Americans march across the bridge in Selma, Alabama, knowing that they're going to be beaten when they do. Knowing, not wondering if, but knowing that that's what was going to happen. Why would they do that? I heard another pastor say, because every week they went to church and they heard their pastor tell them, one day the glory will come. And when it does, we will be free. They lived with the hope of glory, and so they could march across that bridge knowing that even if they're beaten, even if they're killed, in the fight for justice, it will be worth it because the next thing will happen is they will open their eyes and they will behold the glory that they have been waiting for their entire lives. So let me ask you, why do you get out of bed in the morning? I'll tell you the answer for glory. You might not be looking for it in the right places, but you get out of bed every morning thinking of the glory of coffee, or the glory of bacon, or the glory of my children, or the glory of the sunshine. But you know what? There are no granite countertops as stunning as the glory of Jesus. And there is no amount of zeros in a bank account that will give you the security of the glory of Jesus. And so this morning on Palm Sunday, I want to invite you to put your trust in the glory of Jesus. And this week, as we move towards Easter, I want to invite you to get up every morning, tell yourself that Jesus is the glorious one, that his glory is the reason that we are here that he is the answer to the longing that we wake up with every single morning. And one day, one day the glory will come and we will be free and we will be known. We will know him as he knows us now. One day the glory will come. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are God. That you are glorious. That you are full of radiant beauty. And yet in your power and your majesty. That you don't destroy we who are but a breath. God, help us to see the glory of Jesus. God, help us this morning to assume the posture of vulnerability before you. Knowing that Jesus became vulnerable for us. And that because of that, we have caught a glimpse of the glory that one day we will know fully. I'm praying in Jesus' name.